Today we meet Amy, who quite simply talks about the impact some of her biggest fuck it moments have had on her life. From climbing Kilimanjaro on my own to reading the last rites to a dying man in a mud hut. This was a really hard time, but it was really worth it because what became of it was that I'm now sitting here talking to you today and I feel like I'm finally living my purpose, doing the job and having the life that I really truly want. If you're anything like me, you're probably someone who has lots of big ideas, dreams big and has all these hopes and expectations. I've got a vision board on my bedroom wall and I'm forever setting goals of new places and new heights and new things to reach. But there can also be that part of us that constantly questions ourselves. You know, when the doubt hits you and you kind of start to lose track and you feel like you want to turn back. But there can be times where whatever it is that we're chasing or doing, that that isn't an option, that you just have to muddy through. And when there's no choice instead, then you have to come to face this word that seems to have been haunting me for the past few years. And it's something I talk about with Amy, acceptance. Accept all the things that are, all the things that will be, and that's how it is rather than hope that things are going to change or things will be different. And I think what really made me connect with someone like Amy, who we just met, she was in the audience of one of my um, talks when I was explaining about the world of podcasting. And we really connected because not just what she does personally, but her story of heartbreak, of you know, finding um, herself whilst out traveling as well, traveling the world, um, working through what it is her purpose was when it came to finding work and, and a passion that she really believed in. It really touched me because this is someone who had hit so many walls in her life, um, but managed to kind of muddy her way through. And I thought that Amy was someone who absolutely deserves a place on the, you know, amazing collection of people on this particular podcast series. So we sat down in her kitchen in Oxford and over a cup of very strong coffee, we just chatted and watched the birds outside and, and put the world to rights. And and we realised as we kind of talked having only ever met in person once before, of how many things that we actually had in common. But also, when you are the type of person that seeks to find your purpose, that wants to get something better in life, you seek for more, that whoever you are, whatever background you come from, you always feel a sense of connection. And I walked away from this conversation feeling pretty inspired. So I hope that what Amy shares with you can inspire you too. To set a bit of a scene, Amy is, well, I guess she's an actress. She does 
All kinds of interesting work. You know when doctors train and they need practice patients? Well, she's one of those people. But her own work and how we came to be connected was from her company which she co-runs called Human Story Theatre. She explains a little bit about what they do, but they are on tour um, over the next few months. So in the show notes, I'll put a link to her website if you're interested in any of the subjects that she covers. So I'll stop talking and let you meet Amy and she can explain where, well, her major cross point in her life truly began. Unfortunately, my marriage ended, which was uh, very sad as all relationship breakups are, uh, and it was unexpected. Uh, I was on a certain path, moving into a family home, starting a family, etc. And suddenly the rug was pulled from beneath me. And I thought, right, um, well, I did, my parents did have to pick me up off the floor for a few months. But then after that, um, uh, I thought, this is an opportunity for change. Yeah, and I mean, just give it a bit of context. How long have you been together and at what age were you at this time? We've been together 11 years. Um, Only married three, but living together for 11 years. And I was at quite a pinnacle sort of age, if that's the right expression. I was 35 when that all finished. So um, all my friends had, you know, young, young babies, young children, um, and that was just kind of the path that was natural to, to, to be on for me at that time. And I was happy with that path and I thought that's what was going to happen. But then, of course, life haha, never goes the way that you think it's going to sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, you, I mean, you kind of said there that your parents picked you off, off the floor. I'm imagining that to kind of lose the hope and a sense of everything when you looked in the future suddenly was a bit unknown and a bit dark and that wasn't something that necessarily had a lot of choice over it was a circumstantial like okay this is going to be a new chapter not quite sure what I'm going into Mm -hmm. I mean how difficult was that period because you know it's something that a lot of people fear that this these kind of things happen there is a lot of fear around this type of stuff yeah um it was very difficult (laughs) to be honest with you uh a shock yeah, I, I think uh, physically as well as mentally, it was a shock. Um, and uh, I was kind of in denial as well. And I think it it took a good year for me to accept. And there's this word acceptance, it seems to be a buzzword. Uh, but yeah, it took a while for me to accept what had happened. Um, and, and also to actually process it and and deal with it um you know what happened next was um lots of traveling and you know sort of an eat pray love kind of story and maybe a bit of a cliche but it you know some people might say oh you were running away maybe I was in a way but not consciously um and anyway if if people do run away for a bit I don't actually think that is a bad thing I think that that can be a really positive thing but you do need to deal with it and face it and face that fear of like you said a dark place the hope's gone the the what you were expecting it's disappeared and 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 now what and it's it is totally down to you the the now what mm. and i suppose that's 
a bit overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, but then out of sometimes these situations, you can actually surprise yourself by your own strength that you didn't know that actually even existed within you. And when you don't yeah. have a choice, you, you have to just muddle through and find a way. I'm interested in the word acceptance because that's definitely something that's been on my mind in the last year of this idea that certain things may have happened in your life and you can't change them. The past is the past. Mm. Um, and a kind of an idea of forgiveness and, and letting go of some of these things and not being angry because the only person that suffers is you. Mm. Um, and this idea of grief as well, because, you know, although nobody has died <clears throat> in this kind of circumstance, I've definitely felt when some of my relationships have broken that there was a grieving process and, and grief was the word for that, both as a, a family member um, and also as a, as a partner breakdown as well. So it's interesting you say that about, oh, crikey voice, sorry. <clears throat> um, you say that about grief because um, I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with my career? I don't know what I'm doing, what career, ha ha ha. Okay, let's try some life coaching for career. And the life coach that I saw was actually also a qualified grief counsellor. And unbeknown to me at the time, but we've since made good friends and she's spoken to me about it, but she actually grief counselled me. That's not a correct phrase. But, um, and yeah, I didn't realise it was grief. I'd thought of grief as just if somebody dies. Um, mm -hmm. But in my ignorance, that's what I thought. But no, you're right. It was almost... Um, also being with somebody for 11 years it's a separation anxiety as well and it is a grief it's a grief if you lose your job that's a different type of uh, of grief but and for me in a way I thought well gosh what's happening with career not much so there was that gone um well not gone but uh, and then uh the 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 marriage um yeah part you start questioning everything you know, you, you look at every corner and think, okay, well, what can I fixate on? What what have I got to look forward to, I think? And interestingly that, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this in, a, in another episode, actually, but someone mentioned to me, if you were in a car and you got lost, you would pull over and you'd pull out a map and you think, okay, where am I? Where do I need to go? And how am I going to get there? But quite often in life, we kind of just bumble through and hope mm. that it's going to turn out okay. I think that's what I was doing definitely with for that career year. stuff, yeah. um, for sure. And then the, the marriage breakdown, it, it forced me to look at other things, which was a really positive thing. I think I needed, I needed that sort of shock in a way to, mm. to make other changes in my life that I'd been sort of pushing to the side and, and bumbling around with. Mm. Um, so yeah, there, there, there was grief... Um, I needed acceptance. You mentioned forgiveness, and it took me quite a while to forgive myself um, of something that hadn't worked out. And, you know, in, in any relationship, of course, it takes two. Um, but, yeah, I found it, I found it difficult to, to find forgiveness for myself. Mm. So the thing that people say go traveling, go find yourself. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm someone who's traveled extensively and worked in different countries around the world. And I'm a big advocate for this. But when somebody says that they're going traveling, a small part of me thinks, I wonder what they're, what they're running away from. And you know, you mentioned that it's true. because there definitely <laughs> have been times when I have gone away. And I think in reality, perhaps I was avoiding 
dealing with whatever situation I was meant to kind of handle at the time. Mm. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Again, it's a chance to hit pause, get a change of scenery, see life from a different perspective, come back feeling a little bit more energised and then crack on and deal with whatever you've got to deal with, right? So there's lots of different ways to think about this. But it wasn't just like you kind of popped over to Thailand for a beach holiday. You know, (laughs) you, you kind of took this in a very different approach, didn't you? Yes. You didn't just go to Mallorca for a week either. No, I decided I would go to Zimbabwe, Victoria Falls specifically, to do some charity work, which included being a teaching assistant in a local primary school, uh, working on an AIDS garden project, um, helping out in a home for the elderly, and also walking lions. What? Yes, what? Well, exactly. Now, actually, that bit wasn't on the information when I signed up to do this volunteer charity programme. And um, they tried to tell me when I got there and they said, this is what you're going to be doing on Saturday mornings. Uh, I said, no, 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 no. I would have seen that on the information because I'm phobic of dogs. So there is no way I would have signed up to this if I had known in advance that I would be walking lions on a Saturday morning. Getting out of bed to walk lions at 6am. Ah, ah, no thank you. Um, And do you know what? I was paying for the privilege of this experience of charity work. So I could have been, the the Amy now would be assertive. The Amy then wasn't and was like, oh goodness, you know, in my my mid-30s, it wasn't assertive and was okay, I'll get up at six and I'll be terrified for half a day walking these lions. Um, Now I'd tell them where to go, quite frankly, so they they can keep the money for me not to walk the lions. (laughs) Okay, so let's just uh, say it's a Saturday morning, 6am, the alarm goes off, you wake up. Mm. Talk me through, how do you prepare for half a day of walking a lion? And what does that even involve? (laughs) It's a bit ridiculous. Um, Well, uh, I would be nervous. I'd have butterflies in my tummy and think, oh my goodness, Uh, And also, most of the people who were on the volunteer programme, they were from all over the world, lovely people, but they were mostly 18, 19. Um, And, you know, they'd walk there. They'd walk, be on the walk with the lions with, you know, their headphones in, listening to music and things like that. And and for me, that was extraordinary because I was thinking, oh my goodness, can you not be in the moment? Look where you are. And I just thought that that is the the beauty of youth and naivety and and not realising the amazing opportunity they've got with their surroundings. They'd rather be plugged in. I'm thinking, thinking, is it like, you know, when you go, I don't know, to horse stables and, and, and they're all in their little kind of section and then you have to put the lead on groove them a bit there's no lead there was no no, there's no lead so right these it's supposed to be i'm slightly cynical about this but it's supposed to be a conservation project so these are lions that have been found in the wild as cubs some as cubs some as young adults injured they get taken in um and 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 looked after there's a vet involved on on the project uh and etc and then um they need to go and walk in the... So they're kept at night in, in their cages. Well, large pens, huge pens. Um, and then they need to be exercised and, and walk. So they have lion... Um, 
like leaders um, who are, tra are trained to look after lions. And um, one of them has a gun, but apparently that's not to help you out if the lion turns on you. That's for other lions that you might encounter in the bush or buffalo or or whatever so not only have the lions but there's all you know there could be rhinos around there could be all, all sorts and you just go off for a walk with these lions these lions aren't on a lead they just go and you the volunteers are supposed to be part of the lion's pride hmm and interestingly they didn't they told me that oh we don't have male lions anymore we only look after female ones because um, one of the male lions jumped on the back of a volunteer and bit their head so yeah I know it's mad but I missed out the bit what happens is is then and this is the cynical bit is that tourists pay to go for a walk with the lions um and so that that's what the sort of venture is but us volunteers are part of the lion pack and the so we go up close with the lions and the volunteers or not the volunteers, the tourists walk a little bit behind. Mm. Wow, so there's a lot of opportunity for those lions to eat people, really, isn't there? Let's face it. Yeah, I mean, did you... I can't, I can't even get my head around this, right? <laughs> a, you're afraid of dogs. Now, as someone who has spent most of my life being afraid of dogs, I, I actually got to the point a few years ago where I actually went to get help with uh, hypnotherapy and a therapist about my phobia for dogs because mm. I felt like it was starting to really hinder my life. Like I was afraid to walk in a park on my own. I didn't want to cycle along the canal on my own. That's exactly what um, I was like. Yeah, and I wouldn't go yeah. around to a friend's house because she had a new puppy. And I was thinking, this is affecting my friendship. Um, so the thought of kind of being then next to a huge animal, um, I mean, how close did you allow yourself to to kind of get to this line did you look in its eyes did you see it slobber on its mouth that kind of thing well i was really close to it and um, what you can do is um they teach you to um pat the lion um and they tell you to get down on one knee and always what was it to behind interestingly behind the lion I know you should never go behind a horse but behind the lion um and they say to get down on one knee and then and pat it firmly um so you don't well I would have thought firmly gives it a shock and it might turn around and growl at you but anyway but they say to only get down on one knee not two just in case you need to get up quickly and they give you a stick as well and they teach you how to like like a ninja get your stick in front of you in defense just in case the lion gets friendly or not friendly I mean yeah people pay to do this as a tourist they pay to do that and have their photo taken patting the lion and I have to say I was asked every Saturday for um two and a half months to did I want to pat the lion nope nope no thank you I'm fine thanks nope nope and then on the last Saturday I was like right I can do this. And there was a proud picture in my hall, before you go, I'll have to show you, of me down on one knee, fiercely grabbing this stick, um, and with one hand, and the other hand patting the lion. Wow. So I did it. I did it. So interestingly, I then came back to the UK later and went round to my friend's house who had a dog, and usually she would just shout through the door saying, hang on, I'm just putting the dog away. Um, and, I, and I shouted through the door, no, no it's fine my adrenaline had gone 
my fear and adrenaline of it I wasn't in my body anymore for the Labrador because well, I think probably because suddenly a golden Labrador is a lot more friendly than a flipping great lion um so yeah that that's quite interesting that desensitization over time a bit extreme you know uh, walking lions to desensitize you not not the average um kind of therapy but but it it, it sort of worked yeah I think sometimes when you when you go through these crazy moments in life and things can get a bit dark and you question a lot of things, you kind of come out the other side and think, well, if I can deal with that, I can deal with this. There is an yeah. element of that. Yeah. And it unlocks things that you didn't even think about. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm always intrigued by that. It's like the kind of when you eat the frog as they say you deal with the big things first yeah. then all these swallow the frog that's what my mum always yeah. says swallow the frog all the all the little things suddenly you don't have to sweat them so much so whilst you were um on this uh, particular trip mm. you also had to engage in with the local villagers as well didn't you and yeah. one of the things that you really had to understand culturally was their approach to death um which was quite interesting timing for where you were at and certain things that were happening in your own personal life as well yeah that was really interesting and it was my favorite part of the trip was engaging in the in the local community that were not lions um and uh yeah um there was this one particular incident uh um where i was visiting the home for the elderly and the church group were, vis- were visiting the home as well at that time. And I was just taken by the hand by Mama Collins, her name was. Uh, she was a nun. And she, she took me into, uh, it wasn't a mud hut actually, it was a brick hut with an asbestos roof. Um, it was very dark inside. And she said, she said there's, there's a, a man in here who he's refusing to eat. He's not well, but he likes, he likes visitors. So she, she took me in and... There was a man on the floor, an elderly man, quite disfigured. Um, his leg was dis- d- uh, disfigured, um, and he he was dying. And I that was a bit of a shock, you know, because out, outside was boiling hot sunshine, um, people in the community doing the gardening and everything, and then suddenly I was taken in unexpectedly into this hut to see this really poorly man who was painfully painfully thin just skin and and bone and I was told the story of of his life and in 2011 there was a real food shortage um in Victoria Falls and um there was an injured elephant that had come into into town and so so I was told that all the villagers um were racing to kill it for for meat for food um and in this frenzy they were all there with their machetes and stuff and they were trampling the villagers were trampling over each other accidentally cutting each other in a fight for this desperate need for food um and morris had had been trampled on um and had severe injuries and because he'd you know couldn't get the health care that it's not there he he yeah he he was um 
I think he must have had internal injuries. I don't know because, you know, he couldn't speak English. Mama Collins's English was broken. and um, But anyway, it turned out that they were coming to say, the church group were coming to say prayers for Morris, which, I, I, you know, I kind of thought was the last rites. Um, and uh, they started singing. And for me, singing is just really emotive. Um, and I grew up being taken to church. So for me, hymns is something that just, gets me and suddenly I was completely overcome uh, with with grief and and emotion and I surprised myself that yes it was a sad situation but where it was coming from because I had no emotional attachment to Morris I didn't know uh, the chap Um, and I realized that it was sort of a a grief well, I've always been frightened of death. I've always been really, really frightened of it. Like as a teenager, I'd be like, I can't talk about it. I can't. I, I start to almost have a panic attack about it. Um, and a couple of weeks before my trip to Zimbabwe, my mum was diagnosed with cancer, and we didn't know what her prognosis was at that time. She had to have the tests, and that you know the results were going to come while I was away. But my family really encouraged me to go away, and that. If it was really, really bad news, then I could always fly back, but at least go and have an adventure for a little bit. And I I suppose the weight of that, I mean, it's way worse for my mum waiting for the news, obviously, but the weight of not knowing, again, the unknown, that dark place, there's a theme here. Um, And and I suppose, yeah, it it just dawned on me um, that that realisation of, yeah, death and I could lose my mum I suppose mum's still with us now she's doing really well which is, is great um but yeah it was it was uh, what, what I think got me the most um was their their relationship to death and life death is part of life and um the church group saw me sobbing away and they were actually laughing at me because, uh, well, not laughing at, but sort of they, they were bemused by me. This, this, this white woman stood there sobbing her eyes out because for them it was just a fact of life. This is what happens. You're alive, so one day you're going to die. Some people have longer lives than others. It's just, it's just what happens. And I found that humbling um, and inspiring because for me, death is surrounded by fear um and for them they're free of that fear and that's quite a beautiful thing and I I felt in a way envious of their lack of fear around death Mm. and when you step out of a western world that's something that has always intrigued me as well um and and how we kind of are we just get distracted by the everyday things you know busy being busy is a classic phrase isn't it that we kind of are thinking oh gosh i've run out of milk i've got to get another bit of milk um or someone annoys us when they cut us up on the road and in the grand scheme of it these small things they really don't matter but when you do go to these completely different worlds i mean mm. um one of the travel trips that i ended up doing i left a permanent job in 2009 i was been working in sales and 
um, I want to trek the Great Wall of China for charity. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> which I think we'll end up having some um, some shared kind of experiences over this when we get to some of your stories later. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I found fascinating is we camped in farmers' fields and we went to local schools and exchanged gifts with some of the local children. Um, but as we were kind of wandering through the villages, what really struck me was just how some of these people had absolutely nothing. You know, they weren't sat there playing on their Xbox. They weren't all sat there watching box sets on TV. But they were happy. They had the food that was growing in their field. And the kids would play out on the street and the adults would just sit on broken chairs talking to each other. Mm. And the weather was good. And as long as the food was growing um, and they could be self-sufficient, they seemed happy. And there was almost that kind of intriguement, that sense of in- intriguement that I had about what is it about these people that that why are they so happy and then when i came back to england just walking around the streets and thinking why is why are people not happy here you know they have everything really or have access to everything yeah. if they want it <clears throat> um and i thought that culturally to get out into these kind of places you know out in the sticks engage in different cultures is how you really open your eyes to what's important in life and, and that yeah. you know that idea of how in a western society we do live in fear um you know as someone who works in the media <laughs> i'm very conscious about that perpetuation of fear um that happens within you know the, the media world um one of the things that um you know you were also doing was um the charity work was uh aids uh, working with um, kind of was it to kind of uh, get testing or was it people no, who it had AIDS? Actually, How did that work? It was it was a residential building where people who uh, living together as a community who had AIDS and they were um, they had a big garden and were growing vegetables and then they sold those vegetables through through this charity they sold all the vegetables at market and so that enabled them to buy their medication and to live in this house all together but very small there's only about 20 people living there mm-hmm. um and we just helped help them out because obviously they a lot of them were quite sick and not as you know not strong enough to do Although actually, they're flipping stronger than me with a spade in 40 degree heat, I can tell you. But um, yeah, so we just helped out doing doing gardening uh, with them. Um, yeah. So when you, how long were you on this trip for? And then, you know, when you came back, you know, how how did you feel from the moment you got on the plane to go there from the moment you got on the plane to go home what kind of time frame we're talking and what transformation do you felt that you went through sure um it was a three-month trip altogether um and i went on that plane i remember walking up in the queue to get through passport control and i was sobbing i was um i was full of fear full of fear and I sobbed all the way down the plane, you know, trying to find my seat. And I sat there and I think I sobbed for the first hour of the journey. Uh, Yeah, so I really, really clearly remember that. Um, And I remember a middle-aged, really nice middle-aged chap next to me asking me if I was okay. And 
I said fine, thank you, just just sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, and I'm not ashamed of, uh, maybe it's the actor in me, I'm not ashamed of showing my, I wear my heart on my sleeve, that's what I should have said about how would I describe myself as well. <laughs> now it's all coming back to me. Um, I do wear my heart on my sleeve and I don't mind what people think of me or if they think, oh God, is that mad woman crying or whatever. You know, I can't help it. The emotion is just, just comes out. And they always say better out than in. Uh, so then... All this stuff happened uh, in 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 Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe, um, and I came back thinking that the marriage was going to work out. Um, again, we'd had had a break, and and things would work. Um, so I came back with hope. Uh, I felt in within myself much more grounded and I also had a stronger sense of sounds cliche but a stronger sense of who I was um and and that was it felt good that was a nice place to be Mm. and I felt lucky to have had all these experiences and meet such wonderful like you said happy people Mm. with these beautiful smiles with they have next to nothing yet they're content they live in the moment and that was just so inspiring um, and I thought, right, I'm going to try and bring some of that home. And I, I felt that way. But within a month, unfortunately, it was clear that the marriage was definitely over. Um, so then I felt lost again, actually, but not not as lost as I did before and not as distraught as I did before, because I thought, well, look what happened in the last three months. So so something else can happen. Um and I'm not quite sure where this came from, but I thought, fuck it, I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro. <laughs> and not only am I going to do that, I'm going to do that. And then I'm going, because I'd fallen in love with Africa. I say Africa, I'd only seen Zimbabwe. I was hungry to see more of the continent. So I thought, right, I'll climb Kilimanjaro for charity first. And then I will get in one of these overland trucks and I will travel across East and South Af- Southern Africa, um, 12 countries, Nairobi to Cape Town is what I did. Uh, and I'll do that for three months. And we got to add here, on your own. Yes. Because, you know, people, when they think about going travelling, they want to go with a partner, they want to go with a family member, they want to go with a friend. But to do this stuff on your own is, you know, and I know because I've done all kinds of combinations of travelling, to do it on your own is so difficult. It really really Mm. is. Well, I suppose I didn't really think about it in that way. I am quite sort of impulsive and gun-ho and I... I think about doing something and 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 I just sort of don't think too much uh, and just get on and and do it um so I I never thought at the time oh this is going to be difficult on my own I I I had I'm taking credit for myself where I shouldn't be really because actually I thought I'd be climbing Kilimanjaro with a group of other people um, yes, I wouldn't. I didn't know know who they would be, but I thought I would be in a group, and obviously you bond with people during an experience like that. I saw a YouTube video of someone zip wiring over the Great Wall of China, and thought I'm going to do that, and I was scared of heights, so I thought no, Me I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I worked backwards. I thought, okay, how do I get? Where is that place? How do I get there? What charities go there? And mm. then signed up, and then throughout the process, I ended up meeting people who were also doing the trek who live nearby and form friendships with them and then have people to camp with while I was out there so it ended up being quite a 
you know, a very different trip because I ended up making those friends. But that didn't quite go to plan for you, did it? No, it didn't. So um, I, I'd flown into Nairobi and I'd stayed with a friend of a friend who I didn't know who kindly put me up for a couple of nights because I wanted to acclimatise yeah. um, slightly. And then I got public transport where I thought my life was in my hands. Oh my goodness, it wasn't in my hands, it was in the driver's hands. Um, public transport from Nairobi into Tanzania and stayed in this... Um, a hotel the night before the trek was starting and I was meeting my guide that evening um, and it was supposed to be a meeting with the group who you would be walking with and there was just me so I you know sort of five minutes into the conversation I, I said to the guide when are the others uh, joining us and he said oh no it's just you that, that nobody else has signed up to this particular route on this particular date it's just you and yeah, I felt like crying, actually, to be honest with you at the time. Um, I thought, oh, well, okay, there's nothing I can do about that. Right, fine. Um, and, and so that, that was that. I had to do the expedition on my own. Well, I say on my own, there was a group of, um, I think, six to eight. I can't remember how, how many um, helpers who carry your bags and things like that. Uh, very kindly you know I just had my day pack I'm not sure I could have managed it with a, my tent and all my seven days food on my back as well uh, and yeah and I guess guess I just sort of well I, I got on with it really I mean it wasn't without um, challenges of altitude sickness which was horrific but also the guide, um, they, well, it, they were bemused by me that I was uh, over the age of 30, um, for starters, on my own as a woman uh, doing this expedition. Where was my husband and why didn't I have children? And they were intrigued. Well, why not? And I thought, oh, my God. And I wasn't at that stage. I didn't want to talk about my marriage breakup. I'm much more comfortable to mention it now because I'm, you know, uh, the healing process hadn't kicked in then, and I, I, I yeah, didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. So, yeah, I, I kept having to um, fend off the main guide who wanted me for his second wife, <laughs> and he kept saying, "Well, I'll give you children." I was like, "Oh my lord, I could do without this while I'm climbing the mountain." And I hasten to add, he must have been desperate, bless him, because. You know, I didn't hadn't washed for seven days. I had altitude sickness. I felt like crap. I wasn't pleasant company. You know, all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it was quite amusing, actually. <laughs> Afterwards, it was amusing. And, and the thing is with the altitude sickness is that you lose, uh, or you can do, and this is what happened to me, you lose your sense of being hungry. But obviously, for all that trekking, you need food. And he'd come and sit at the entrance of my tent, bring me my dinner. Um, and he'd sit there to make sure that I would eat a certain amount. It was like being back at primary school. He'd section off on my plate, you must eat this. And, you know, it was very kind of him because they were probably, you know, quite hungry. And I was being generous. And you have my food, you know. I, I, um, but no, he was trying to make sure that I... Um, ate a certain amount for energy now the thing was I really 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 couldn't eat so I said okay don't don't worry that's fine but please leave me in peace I'll eat it by myself and I um used to hide the food this is dreadful because I just felt so sick that I really didn't want to be force fed I would hide and it's criminal when you're in a country where there's poverty and people are, are really hungry so I do feel guilty about this but I um I had lots of um 
little bags with me, you know, to seal things from the wet and stuff. And I'd put the food in there and then I'd put put it in my jacket and I'd go to the, there wasn't a toilet, it was a hole. Um, And I'd go there and I'd put the food down the hole because I just couldn't, it was only a third, the rest of it got eaten by other people. But I just, and it it was this routine that I would do, lunch and dinner. Put it in the bag and get rid of it because I just I couldn't I couldn't eat because I felt so sick. Wow. What about the the, <laughs> the guys who were carrying the bags as well? Because they were some characters as well, weren't they? Yeah, they were brilliant. They when I was feeling particularly low and like I couldn't put one foot in front of the other because everything was spinning like the most horrendous hangover. Um, but sadly, wasn't. It was the altitude sickness. They'd sing songs and they'd do a, um, a little uh, dance and clapping and, you know, drumming on their bodies and things. They were really wonderful, really, really wonderful. And they are amazing because they hike up and down Kilimanjaro um, like it's a hill, you know, and they do it all the time. And yes, yeah, some of them in like flip flops as well. And amazing, <laughs> amazing. Mm. So then you you conquer Kilimanjaro. I mean, just <laughs> I can't even imagine. It doesn't sound like there was a romantic moment when you got to the top of. Oh my God, I'm overwhelmed with emotion. You were like, oh, I'm, I've not died. Is probably yeah, and um, it was freezing. It was freezing, freezing, freezing cold. Um, uh, yeah, and your your water bottle had frozen, and um, I just about was able to I had an iPhone five at the time. I was just about able to get that out of my pocket and take a couple of pictures at the top yeah. and put it back. But I must say that on day five. Um, I met another girl traveling on her own and we we were just I hardly saw anyone when I was doing the the trip because I did a a less um, popular route and over more days you can do it in five days but over seven because I wanted to acclimatize as much as I could um and I met uh I met this lovely Australian girl Claire and she was climbing by herself as well and and we got chatting and actually so from day five to seven um, we decided we'd climb together. Wow. So I did have a moment where I could hug someone at the top to think, you know, to celebrate, oh my goodness, we, we did this. Mm. And she's a wonderful, strong woman as well and does a lot of travelling on her own mm. um, and of, of a similar age, um, a bit younger than me. I better say that. Yeah, she is a bit younger than me, but, but still. And, and uh, we're still friends now and I've been to see her in Australia. So uh, wow. that was a great friendship that was made on day five. That's, <laughs> now, that's what I think is interesting about life, that when you have your eyes open for these kind of moments and these opportunities, how... You know, life can be like a series of connections. And I started to kind of think about this as part of the acceptance and the grieving process of how sometimes people will kind of be a part of your life for a certain amount of time. And then that connection ends Mm -hmm. and you let it go. And then new connections form, new friendships come out of places that you would never even expect. So almost like that kind of transformation you're going through of releasing one person one relationship you were opening yourself to these new experiences and like these new connections for the new version of amy right yeah absolutely and actually we met um i won't say baraka but that's barack obama <laughs> it was the Bar- barack wall or, or something like that i think it's called it's this particular part of 
um, Kilimanjaro where you're literally rock climbing and you don't have ropes or anything you should health and safety in this country you would mm-hmm. and I'm terrified of heights um, we have quite a lot of similarities yeah. dogs heights um, <laughs> and and literally you know when you freeze because you're so scared your mm-hmm. body goes into shock and I was like I can't he's like move, the guide was saying move your right foot stick it on this rock I couldn't my brain was going no can't move it can't move it I met Claire during this little dramatic incident. <laughs> so we were scaling the wall together. Um, and I was, yeah, probably like squeaking quite a lot, which is what I tend to do when I'm scared. Go, go, I can't, I can't, I mustn't. Um, yeah, I met her then. So it was quite a strong what, memory. Were you were halfway up a wall? Yes, halfway up Kilimanjaro, oh, day five, wow. I think that was, yeah. Um, and and I, and I remember saying to her, I'm sorry I'm holding you up, I'm just really scared. <laughs> but this is not one of these other situations where you think to yourself afterwards, if I can do that, what else am I capable of? Yeah, and, and another buzzword here, but I do, I do like it, is resilience. I wasn't surprised at my own resilience. And I, I don't mean to sound arrogant. I don't mean, I hope that doesn't come across in that way. But I always knew I could get to the top of Kilimanjaro. I quietly knew that. I've always sort of had a sense of a an inner strength and actually maybe it's stubbornness it's not actually strength at all it's because I'm a stubborn mule um and an annoying stubborn mule I'm sure to a lot of people um but I I I wasn't surprised at myself I, I I genuinely honestly think that that's true interestingly a lot of my family and close friends were very surprised at my strength. And I think that's interesting. That sort of speaks Mm. volumes um, of how perhaps I come across. A lovely close friend of mine, her reaction when I said I was going to climb Kilimanjaro and go traveling again for three months was, why do you want to do that? What, what, you know, you're never gonna find another husband and have children if if you go away again. Mm. I thought, Gosh, that that was really, that took me by surprise. And, you know, being fearless people going off and doing these bold things, it's the complete opposite. I'm full of fear. And and I think a lot of people are, but they choose to confront that and go and do things with that fear. Well, yeah, it sounds like you're really fearful. Come on then, tell me about this trip from, so you do Nairobi (laughs) to Cape Town. You've just climbed Kilimanjaro, (laughs) you're in the truck, and now you've got to crack on with how many other countries? 11 other countries? Yes, 11 others, 12 in total. Yeah, it sounds really fearful, mate. Uh, Camping, camping as well for the whole three months, although we did get to stay in Zanzibar, we got to stay in a um, a sort of a hostel which which had a bed, which was amazing. Oh, it was sensory overload uh, during that time. And unfortunately, I, in my mind, I've mixed up some countries with others because it was really quick, in a way, yeah. um, to see all, all those places. Um, but it, it was... But it obviously meant something to you because I'm just looking to our right and uh-huh. you still got on your windowsill a picture of you taken... Uh, you're sat on the beach so that, you know, the, the camera person's behind you and there's sunset on a beach with a beautiful boat in the horizon. And that takes prime position. It was the Mm -hmm. photo I was drawn to first in this particular space that we're sat. 
so there must have been some moments where you had time to really reflect of who you are where you're going there were lots of times which was wonderful and being within nature uh, really really helped I feel a sense of grounding when I'm by the sea I I just love it but yes there, there was a lot of time for reflection um, a lot of time for journaling and writing and yeah that, that was a sense of freedom in itself to not be lucky enough not to have to work and just to to take in one's surroundings and just just be really hmm. to buy yourself a bit of time and yeah as we said you know you, you pull the car over get the map out and have a little think about where am I and how do I get to this place where I want to go where is the place I'm even going in the first place and mm. get out google maps or sat nav to work out a plan of how to get there and whilst you were going through these countries you know did you kind of start to formulate a bit of an idea of what the next chapter might look like um yes during this second trip because in between the first trip and this trip i had um started a theatre company with two friends and was really enjoying that so i was sort of thinking in my head when i get home um we're going to be doing uh, this production etc etc so I, I did sort of have a, a creative plan that was going to happen that wasn't going to make me any money I hasten to add um, we hadn't got funding or anything like that but it was it was um, something to look forward to and and work towards so I, I had an idea from that point of view um, but, but nothing else really mm. just uh, just to continue my lovely voiceover agent said you know go off do your travels it's important he would be there when I got back and so that sort of bread and butter work would would continue so I sort of had had that in my mind you know I don't know what's going to happen in the future um but I feel a lot more at peace and uh, a lot more well I know yeah, you're always growing and there'll be parts of me that will be new that I'll find out about myself. But I, I sort of do know what makes me tick and what it is I need and what I need from other people and what I want to give to others in life. And, and yeah, I feel pleased to sort of reach a certain point. You never reach the end, you keep growing till you die. But um, yeah, I, I feel that being open to opportunity, genuinely open uh, to whatever might come your way, even though that's not what you thought would happen or what you thought would be best for you. And just to, to go with it has been um, eye-opening and really, really positive, she says. <laughs> so we started this conversation by talking about where you are now with Human Story Theatre and that's been an interesting thing that when you came back in the last few years of reconnecting to, well, I guess like the human experiences that you've kind of witnessed for yourself, your own experience as well of life and how that's kind of feeding now into the work that you're doing every day. It's almost like as painful as some of these moments were, they've made you who you are today. And that's something that you're living and, and sharing and empathising with the work that you do now yeah and I, I feel really lucky to to have had all those experiences because they have indeed made me who I am now and uh, if somebody had said to me uh, five six years ago 
you'll be running your own theatre company, I would have gone, what? No, don't want to do that. Why would I want to do that? Which is totally ridiculous because Human Story Theatre is, is, feels like it's my home. Um, I love doing it. I love running it with my friend and colleague, Gay. And, you know, it, it's, well, it's just wonderful. You know, I'm, I, she says, <laughs> blowing the own, my, my own trumpet. No, it is wonderful that I am enjoying it. That's what's wonderful about it. Um, and I've always really enjoyed doing medical role play, which is where myself and Gay met on a job uh, over 12 years ago. And I, I hadn't examined at the time why I enjoyed that so much. But, but since my time of reflection, I've enjoyed it because it's reacting and interacting with the real world. Um, doctors and nurses and um, it's different it's a different world and I find that world where those people with their medical knowledge are helping others really very interesting I find the patient side of thing interesting I find that the maybe I'm just a frustrated doctor I would have liked to have been in ER but anyway um, uh, and I feel that Human Story Theatre has brought those two things together because on our Q&A panels we often have nurses or GPs or mental health workers and that real world is encapsulated with the theatre that we present. So I'm still telling a story through the shows um, that we're doing, just one human story about a mother, for example, Connie's Colander, about a mother and daughter's journey through dementia. It, it's it's just one story. Hopefully it's entertaining. Um, audience do laugh when we perform it, So, but it's also moving. Um, and within it is a message as well but it's not like theatre and education as such and the education comes if the audience want to ask for it it's there you know ask the questions to to the experts on our on our panel to be signposted to local services or what help they could get etc locally to them and and it 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 all you can't see my hand movement sorry of course this is audio but I'm doing a circle movement It, it it encapsulates all of that together and it just uh, it just feels right. Yeah. Can you believe the transformation that you have gone through, you know, in the last decade? No, actually. No, and it's mostly been in the last five years. It has. And, um, yeah, I, I just feel that, oh, I don't know, tortoise hair and a butterfly maybe, or um, I've accepted for all it's, warts warts and all I've accepted who I am and I know my strengths I also know my weaknesses and I enjoy trying to work on those but I know my strengths and I found somewhere in in the arena of work and community and society where I can I can put my strengths to to good use Mm. I just want to finish with like a quote that's on your board behind you because I think it feels very apt with some of the things we talked about. It says, the main thing is to be moved to love, to hope, to tremble, to live. Um, and who's the quote from? I can't read the writing there. It's Rodine. Rodine. Yeah. What does that mean for you? That's been on my board, my memo board, for since I've come back from travelling. Um, it it means a lot to me. It. it to be moved by nature, by human stories. I'm forever inspired by the strength, resilience of other people um, and humbled by other people's um, essence of who they are. Um, And 
you sh- yeah as hard as it is you should always love you shouldn't be in fear of loving again because of that pain that can be caused if love disappears etc um hard it's really hard to do that and i've found it difficult to love again but it's possible um and to tremble to tremble in excitement with adrenaline with with excitement happiness but also fear um and also allow yourself to tremble in anger anger can be good um it's not best to keep it bottled in you need to yeah to, and, and I've never been able to show my anger and I think now I have <laughs> now I can in a good positive way um, yeah and and to always be hopeful to always you never 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 know what's coming around the corner and more often than not there will be something in fact always I think always there will be something good that comes out of even a terrible situation that you you think wasn't ever going to happen to you I hope that you've been inspired by some of the conversation that myself and Amy had there. And perhaps you're thinking of some of your own fuck it moments that you've had in the past, or maybe one that you're facing right now. And just know that you're not alone in this journey of seeking to move forwards. If you want to connect with us, we're on Twitter at FIMPOD. And then we're on email, FIMPOD at gmail.com. Next time on the Fuck It Moments podcast, we meet Sheridan. I was just talking to a guy just the other day. He said, I've never talked to anybody about this. I can't find anybody who I want to talk to about it. I feel ashamed about it. And therein unraveled about, I guess, about 90 minutes of just listening to where he and his wife is at. And I didn't have any answers for them. I will tell them, though, that in the back of their mind, there is this deep fear that if this doesn't work, our lives are over. I can say, look, Merrin and I are here to let you know that even if the worst happens and you don't get this dreamt of child, actually it won't be the end of your life. Uh, in fact, you can live a very good life. You can actually find that you can have a good, strong marriage and you can have great quality friendships with other people, as difficult as that can be sometimes when they have kids. You can actually see your pain redeemed, recycled into great help for other people. There is still identity and purpose for you, even if you don't have children. That's what I'd tell to the couple themselves. It's a powerful story of a man speaking out against the stigma of male infertility, one you won't want to miss. Subscribe or follow this podcast and don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts too.